Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad, man, what's going on? Um, just just chilling, ready to do another podcast. I, I, have the, I have the urge to laugh right now. I don't know why. <laughs> I like to laugh. In fact... I used to go to this, we called it the Tiger Mart, but it was like the, the Mart at the Exxon Mobil. Mm. And there was a guy there that English was not his first language. And he was out, we were there all the time because it was right next to our office. And he used to always try to talk to us. And uh, my, my business partner at the time was a very giggly person. And they nicknamed him, He Liked to Laugh. So <laughs> we'd walk in the door and be like, hello, He Liked to Laugh. And it just made me giggle. And so that's what you just reminded me of. I don't know why. I, I'm, I've just recently pulled myself off of every uh, online dating site that exists. It was driving me insane. And one of my pet peeves on these things is when people say, I love to laugh. Because I want to meet this woman who hates to laugh. I want to know who these people are that, like, they laugh and then they just get pissed at you. Like, you can, there's a joke. And it's like, mm. remember, I, I used to watch these interviews with these pro wrestlers. And one of them would talk about, you used to be kind of into pro wrestling, right? I was. I definitely was. I used to run an internet wrestling league. Right. So do you remember Taz? Yeah, of course. So Taz apparently in real life, sorry for all the people who have no idea about wrestling <laughs> here, but I'll make it brief. But this guy Taz apparently hated laughing more than anything in the world. So when other wrestlers would make him laugh, he'd like laugh for a second and then cross his arms and be really pissed. And that's also how I imagine Kanye West operates his entire life. <laughs> The what goes on in your brain, Brad, now we know. <laughs> yeah. um, so speaking of which, uh, Rev, tell me about, I, I, I understand you're having a burger drought. It, it's, been a, it's been about a week and a half since I've actually had a, had a burger. Not include, like, look, so I work for a company that makes gourmet ground beef. We sort of test and eat burgers in the office all the time, but I've not gone out for a burger in at least a week and a half. Have you had a burger since we had the lamb burger pieces at Emily? Yes, yes. Uh, I went to Brother Jimmy's uh, about two weeks ago, and they have this burger there called Beat the Farm, uh, which is a really awesome name. And it, it's essentially, it's a hamburger on top of French fries. So you get the patty, bacon, egg, and cheese, and then French fries instead of a bun. And I, that, to me, it's just like an awesome concept. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, instead of a bun. Yeah, it's, so it's the contents of, of the burger on top of French fries, no bun. That's really interesting because – oh, that's that picture you sent me. Yes. Um, that's really interesting because I was just talking to someone who said that they wanted to have like a Hanukkah burger where the the bun is potato latkes. And I thought that was great, but I, I thought that has to exist. Uh-oh. No, uh-oh. I wanted to give you the oh. idea that I ran out to go find a burger on latkes. Oh, <laughs> so we had technical difficulties. <laughs> no, because so when you say something like that, a burger on latke cakes, I'm out of here. I got to find this right now. Yeah, so um, I actually went to Brother Jimmy's recently too, but all I did was drink and watch people make fools of themselves. And then, I actually, this is a story for a different kind of podcast entirely. <laughs> well, um, how about then you tell us about a, a burger you've had recently? Yeah, sounds good. I went a couple of days ago to Red Hook uh, because Grindhouse, which has been open for I think a little over a year now, recently got a new chef, uh, Joe Macchio, I think is his name. And they're a little more, I'm sorry if I screwed that up. 
and they're a little more burger centric than they used to be. And uh, the burger was great. Worth the trip to Red Hook, which I got to via car to go, which is my new favorite thing in the world. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything except the fact that you're driving a smart car on the highway is awesome. Because driving a smart car feels like you're pressed up against the glass and there's nothing behind you. So if anything touches you, you will die. But once you get to Red Hook and you get the burger, it's wonderful. It's just so simple, this burger. It's the amazing beef. It's uh, Fleischer's beef on a sesame seed bun, toasted American cheese, pickles, and that's it. Very simple, very delicious, served with ruffles in a dish. And I would go back. I would go back, but not. I got a double, and I would go back and get a single. I think the time of my life of eating doubles might be over. Oh, never, never say, never say that. I don't want to get boobs. <laughs> now we, now we've totally digressed. <laughs> yeah, let's um, you want to talk about location-based data? <laughs> yeah, speaking of getting places. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> let's segue over to our uh, our interview today with Christian Ward from Yext. Google Maps, Yelp, Facebook, MapQuest, Foursquare, all these sites help you to find information about local businesses, whether it's their phone number, directions, reviews, services, or anything else. Uh, We rely on these networks and sites to guide us in discovering businesses in our area. Once somebody's searching for a place, they already have the intention to buy, and that's why it's vital for places to be easy to find via search, and that starts with having the correct data. You know, how does a large restaurant brand with many locations manage all that data and make sure it's correct? Well, that's what Yex does. Uh, they provide digital location management software. Today, we're talking to Christian Ward, the executive of partnerships at Yex. Christian, welcome to the show. What is the single biggest mistake local restaurants make when it comes to location data? Great question. Single biggest mistake is they don't know it's even a problem. So for most restaurants, the big issue and, and it's, it's really lots of businesses, but restaurants in general are so fixed and focused on their general operations and some of their more expensive marketing channels. They miss the force for the trees, which is their operating hours aren't even right across the web. And so a lot of this really comes down to um, understanding the problem, what causes the problem, and then hopefully with that knowledge, they can attack the problem. I actually saw that happen uh, with a restaurant that I visited over the weekend. I had to talk to them on Instagram and let them know that their uh, hours were wrong on Google. So so what is Yext and how does it work? Sure. Uh, so Yext is a digital location management platform, which is a really fancy way to ex- express that. It is a technology company that allows individual businesses or large chains and organizations to control the data that we're talking about, such things you know, like the name of the business, the um, address of the business, uh, the, the phone number of the business, the hours of operation. And then in addition to that basic content, it also allows people to enhance that content. So if you've ever used you know, a lot of the apps that um, uh, were just described when we opened the segment, a lot of those apps, the more information on those apps, so if the menu is there and the photos are there and um, you know the biography of the chef maybe, these are all great data points that help people make a decision to show up at your restaurant. So what Yext does is we have partnerships with 60 different sites and mobile platforms and search platforms that allow the business to control their data online at all of those places. So the, the Yelps, the Yahoos, the Bings, the uh, Facebooks of the world, they can control that data in real time, and that allows them to 
make sure that they're not missing anything. So no matter where a customer looks, we like to say the purpose of Yext is to put perfect location information into every hand. Because as we all know, a lot of times when you're looking for a restaurant, you, the example you just, you just stated where the hours were wrong, this has been going on for years. And it gets worse almost every day. So Yext's goal is to make sure that that data isn't necessarily changing on an ongoing basis, it's that the business owner, we believe, should be the one in control of that information, and the best way to do it is through the real-time connectivity at Yext. So how, can you explain how the software works in solving that problem? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and and we should come back to, you know, why is it a problem to begin with? Uh, that's one of the big things that I think a lot of restaurants are, are really frustrated with. And they, and they actually have a really good right to be, which is, you know, I had a phone number three years ago. Why does that thing keep showing up? So we'll come back to that. But Yext itself as a technology company, um, and I should say we're, we're based right here in Manhattan, um, right off of Madison Square Park. We're about 450 employees at this point. Principally, it is really just a technology company, and our, our whole platform is that we built real-time API connectivity to a lot of these sites and search engines that really matter to individuals or to businesses that want to be found. So what the platform does is um, through a, a login either by the corporation that manages lots of brands and locations or by the individual location or sole proprietor, they log into a dashboard that provides them with what we would call their location CMS or content management. And it's a place where they can upload information like the hours of operation, um, that like photos or you know the menu of the day. Um, when they do that, it syncs that data technologically across the internet at all of these individual sites. And what's really powerful about Yext, we call it the lock, which is once Yext takes control of one of the business listings on you know, these countless directories, these 60 sites and uh, these individual search engines, once the business owner enacts the lock, that data can't change again. And, and that's a really important part of the technology because Typically what happens is you'll call one of these directories or send them an email and say, hey, listen, you got the wrong phone number. You have a phone number from five years ago. We haven't used that in ages. Um, they'll, they'll try and get it changed, and, and once it changes, they'll, okay, I fixed that one. But, but they really didn't because if you come back three weeks later, unfortunately, a lot of times that number changed back to the wrong information. So Yext as a technology takes control of the listing. We can create listings where they have never been before, which helps get found through uh, search engine optimization. And then we, in addition, we lock that data. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty simple platform, I'd say, when, when customers actually log in, it literally can walk you through, tell us about your business, tell us your hours, tell us your menu, tell us your biography, and with that information, we make sure you look great online. If you look up Yext online, you find pretty quickly that you have three products that you offer, power listings, pages, and zone. Can you tell us a bit about how those work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the product that we typically talk about with small businesses is power listings to start. Zone is actually a very new product, and Pages is principally only sold to major corporations with lots of locations. But the best way to describe each one is power listings are those business listings that we're connecting to that I was just describing. So 60 different sites where you make sure all of that data is perfectly in sync and perfectly accurate. Pages is a way for businesses that have multiple locations to build truly dynamic and search engine optimized 
website pages for all of their locations or to, for a store locator to um, basically bring the uniqueness or the maybe it's the menu or the, the, the certain tastes or facets of a business um, to their locator page. So it's a real great way to make sure, let's say you have restaurants in 12 cities. Obviously the specials might be different. Uh, the events might be different. The chef on staff might be different. You want those differences and that information to shine on the internet. And you want it to be appropriate to each location. You also want it to be dynamic and updating in real time. So pages is that. It basically builds these store locator pages. And it doesn't replace the website. The website of the corporation still is there. But once somebody clicks through to that locator, that's a really powerful tool to make sure that you're being found and the right information for that particular location is correct. Um, the last product, Zone, is we're just absolutely thrilled and excited about. We literally just launched this in the last few, few weeks. Zone is our beacon product and what we call our mobile engagement platform. And what Zone does is we can put a beacon inside of the restaurant associated with a power listing where we can then track as people come to the location um, if they have a certain uh, application on their phone or one of many applications on their phone, it allows the restaurant to send a message to those people later on using things like Facebook or Twitter and it also allows them to engage with people while they're in their restaurant. So if you've been following Beacon Technology at all, this is truly a breakthrough technology where we've partnered with um, almost 100 different applications uh, to make sure that if you have one of these apps on your phone, it lets the restaurant engage with you while people are in the store, in the restaurant, and then even after they leave. So it's the type of thing you could say on their Facebook feed two days later, you could say, hey, it was great having you at the restaurant. Um, well, I'd love for you to leave us a review, or we'd love for you to come back. Here's a, a free meal coupon or an appetizer or some sort of offer. So it's it really, if you think about Yext as this, this massive net, what we're saying is, is you got to fix the listings and information to help people find you, You've got to fix your store locator pages to make sure people can find you. And then once people find you and show up, Zone takes over so you can start to engage with that audience. So the other day, I was, I was with some friends, and Facebook has this uh, technology in which your microphone is turned on, and it picks up on some of the things you say, and then it recommends places for you to go based on that. Uh, is Yext using that technology with Facebook at all? No, we're not. Um, Facebook also, uh, they've they're doing several different things in the local space and they're always fascinating to watch because as you know it obviously started much more as a consumer application and it's grown to just such a phenomenal business engagement platform so I'm not familiar with that tech that they're working on um, a lot of people are trying to um, get to what we would call either you know smart suggestion or serendipity based on things discussed um, and that's really just sort of an extrapolation around all the content that Facebook has around locations but Facebook's also launched a beacon program, which um, many people have heard about. Um, but you can get a free beacon through this program with Facebook. And they're also experimenting with when you show up, it'll say something like, hey, Christian, did you know that your friend uh, Pete was actually in this restaurant and, and had this to say about it you know, three weeks ago? So they're, they're looking at, and really all of the major tech companies, we're all looking at 
how do you engage with customers, make the right suggestion at the right time without also, quite frankly, annoying the consumer? Because I think all of us at this point have seen you know, push notifications and things saying, hey, we notice you're going in this coffee shop. Come two blocks over and get this. It's quite annoying. So there's a fine line here. And I think as everyone's working on technology, ideas about suggesting information or just being gentle with offering help but not just sort of beating them to death with marketing messages. So there's a, there's a lot to be learned in this space. So Christian, there's lots of different sized businesses out there, single location, regional, you know, national, international chain. Uh, with these three products that you guys have, which one is right for which type of business? It's a, it's a great question because it, it, it does really vary. Um, what I would say is uh, at this point, Gex works with about 550,000 business locations. Um, about half of those are enterprise locations. So those are major companies that have tens of thousands of locations just on their own. And those typically will use all three products. They will use power listings to ensure the data is correct across all of the branches um, or all the locations that they have. Um, they'll utilize uh, the store locator slash or the platform we call Pages, um, which has another phenomenal SEO benefit that we can we can discuss. Um, and then they also are now starting to deploy Zone, uh, which helps them engage after the fact. For, for the next group, which is really um, the SMB or the smaller uh, uh, businesses, most of them typically are really only utilizing power listings and zone. The reason why is Pages is really designed for the multi-location that needs a store locator. Many people that have one location, maybe even two, I haven't really built a store locator because their website or um, you know their, their basic online presence right now kind of provides a lot of that value. Now, a little bit of that's changing because when iOS 9 came out and the ability to search on apps and in content that isn't even on your phone started to hit, which is a huge development in mobile search. I don't know if you guys have downloaded it yet, but you know you swipe to the left and you can ask Apple, you know, where you know best burger joint is. You don't have an app that has phenomenal content around where to find the best burger. They'll suggest it to you to download because they can show you that the content's actually there. That's a huge change because now we're not going to the web. Apple's actually showing us apps where that's possible. As you say, I would be afraid to ask my phone that question because I don't like to argue with technology. <laughs> well, Siri, Siri can be a little tough to debate, so <laughs> I, 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 I hear your point. Um, I, what I would say is um, there, for most of us in the, the digital marketing space, SEO has always meant quite frankly, Google, right? It's, meant, it's been, how do I show up on Google? What, what iOS 9 fundamentally does is it says, well, I don't just have to be right or be found on Google. I've got to actually make sure that my content and that if I have an app or if I have a store locator, that's got to be written properly to attract the crawlers from Apple so that I know that no matter where someone asks, whether it's in a browser on the desktop at Google or it's on the iPhone through Siri, I want to make sure my location or my restaurant shows up. The best way to do that is to have a multi-pronged approach um, and so for the small business, that typically is, like I said, power listings and zone. For the major enterprises, it's power listings, pages, and zone. Let's back up to talking about the problems. So I think people get a better picture of, of that. Let, let's say that a restaurant doesn't claim or set up pages like Google, Yelp, etc. You know, 
what happens in a search in that case? Somebody searching for, you know, best whiskey bar, best burger in their neighborhood. How would that affect that search? Yep. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the best way to describe it is um, let's 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 actually look at it from a human perspective first, because uh, before the interwebs, um, we all kind of did this ourselves, and I, and I'll explain it this way because local search. Um, is probably the most human element of the Google algorithm. It operates a little bit differently than the classic search, like if I'm with my kids and they need to do a, a project on Nikola Tesla. That's a classic semantic search where it's analyzing all the articles written about Tesla and Tesla coils. Very different thing when you ask Google, uh, hey, where is this restaurant? Or what type of restaurant? I'm, you know, Give me a restaurant that I'm looking for in this category. And I'll explain it this way. So I live in northern New Jersey, uh, just across the river from Manhattan, um, you know, and I, let's say one of my friends says, hey, you have to try out this, this great pizza shop called Goodfellas Pizza. Uh, it's on the Lower East Side. Uh, and I say, okay, it sounds good. And on the weekend, my wife and I, uh, you know, I, I, I have three kids. We're going to load them up in the minivan. We're going to risk the traffic in the Lincoln Tunnel just to go try a great new slice, right? That's important to us. Um, now, I know before Google, I might have spoken to five, ten other people that keep recommending this place. So let's say I call all ten of my foodie friends that live on the Lower East Side and I say, listen, I've heard about this Goodfellas place. Can you tell me exactly where it is and what its hours are? Now, if when I did that, all ten of them exactly said the same address, the same name, they knew the business name right away, and the same phone number, you can see I'd probably just as a human be pretty confident because I trust these people. So if they all said, yeah, it's absolutely right here on the corner of 4th and blah, this is the phone number, absolutely, you're good to go. When that happens and you get a signal of, let's say, 10 great friends saying, yeah, this is good, my wife and I have no problem hopping in the minivan and taking the kids into the city because it, it really gives us confidence, right? Well. If on the other hand, let's say I called my 10 foodie friends, they said, keep hearing about this, this, this great new slice of za, where, where do I, you know, where is it? And the first person gives me one address, the second person gives me a slightly different address, the third person gives me a different phone number, the fourth person's never heard of it, and the fifth person's never heard of it. By the time I get to 10, how do you think my confidence is? Basically, forget about Google. There's no way, just on a human basis, I drive into the city to try that place. I would, I would try and ask them, give me another suggestion, because by the sound of it, I'm going to get to this place, and it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to have turned into a, a nail salon, because it's not, none of you can agree on where it is. That explanation is fundamentally exactly how local search works. It works on what we would classically call a signal-to-noise ratio, in terms of how many strong signals that all agree can I hear in noise. So there's lots of things that cause noise, like old phone numbers or businesses that might have been a restaurant in your location before you took it over. There's lots of bad data out there. So when you, when you don't have your information out there or you don't take the time to claim it and try and get all of that information right, fundamentally what's happening is Google is going to their trusted 10 friends, which is Yelp, Bing, Yahoo, Foursquare, Facebook, and a whole litany of other sites, and Google is crawling them saying, hey, do you know Goodfellas Pizzeria? And Because I've heard of it. And when Google crawls them all, if they all say different things or they, ha they don't know of it or they, they have a, a, another business name but the same phone number, when that happens, Google's confidence goes down because what Google has become for all of us, it's one place to ask 50 
friends or foodies exactly where a place is in real time. And so that's what it has replaced for us as we make that call. But Google technologically is doing the exact same thing I used to do when I called 10 foodie friends on the Lower East Side. Let's go a little deeper. How does bad data happen? It's a great question. So, uh, and this is probably the single most frustrating thing. I, I, as I said, I live in North Jersey. I live just next to the town called Hoboken, uh, which many people know. And great, great restaurants in Hoboken. Just a, a just a wonderful history of food and drink. And and one of the things about it um, is I have a lot of friends in the restaurant business there. And um, they they'll contact me and say because they know what I do for a living and say you know that I don't understand why is this like this? Why is this old business name there? Why is this here? And and let me explain it. In in sort of the way of a lot of the people that will listen to this, you're restaurant tours, but you're also entrepreneurs, and you're building a business. And what happens when we start a business? Well, the first thing we do is we usually go to the bank and we open a checking account because we haven't even leased the space yet, right? So we're going to open a checking account so we can get all the financials working properly. And when we do that, we open the checking account with our personal address and our cell phone. And we don't necessarily open it with the name of the restaurant because my partners and I haven't figured out what that's going to be yet. But we open that up, right? What happens is then I go and I lease the place. When I lease the place, I didn't update necessarily that bank account for a few weeks. The company that sends you your business checks, um, like a company like a Deluxe or something like that, that data is out there and it's going to stay out there forever. So the next thing we do is we file with the state and then we file with the health inspector. And as we're doing these things and we're building, and I know I'm skipping a ton of steps, but as you're interacting with these people, there's a lot of data that's being created that may not be what you launch as. So let's say it comes to launch day and it's going to be, you know, Christian's Burger, Burger Shack. When, it, when I launch with Christian's Burger Shack, there's a pretty good chance now the address is not the same as what was on the checks when I started four months ago. The phone number has changed because I've switched it to the actual landline of the location. The business name might be slightly different than what I, I incorporated as because I might have an enterprise or doing business as relationship. Quite frankly, there are so many data elements that are now out there polluting the ecosystem. You can't really blame a lot of these sites for having the wrong data because what they're doing is they're buying chunks or massive lists of data to build these directory systems. And if I was going to explain it sort of visually to you, I want everyone to think of March Madness brackets. Okay, In, If you had on the left-hand side all the teams that supply data and on the right-hand side all the teams that supply data and they were all fit into the brackets, you would see teams like... Twitter feeds, so when people post about a restaurant with Twitter, you'd see feeds like government records, tax records, um, you'd see health inspection forms, you would see um, uh, database companies like Infogroup or Axiom, uh, you'd see things like Facebook posts, you'd see uh, Yahoo reviews, Yelp reviews. All of those things, all those data points, they compete in a data tournament on an ongoing basis to try and figure out who has the right to name this business in the directory or online? And who's got the right phone number? And who's got the right address? That's actually really hard to get right. And so for the business owner who looks at this problem and says, you know, I, I don't understand why the data is so bad, they have to start to go back and think of it this way, which is they're, they're kind of part of the problem, which is not really their fault, but in setting up a business, 
there's, there's a lot of data points that they put out there that they didn't even know yet. By the time they get it to being firm, it's actually, it could be completely polluted by that point. Um, and there's also one other thing I want to point out, which is a lot of times phone numbers, people think they're unique, but they're not, right? We're at the point now where every phone number used to be somebody else's phone number. This is why sometimes you'll call the butcher and the baker will pick up. And it's because they use something called a call tracking number or just the phone number was recycled after a certain amount of time. That also super confuses Google and all the other search engines because they really don't know is this the right phone number or not. Um, there's also things of the address. If you were in a, in, if there was a, you know, some sort of restaurant before you took over and we, we show people this, we show side by side where Flacco's Tacos used to literally be the BLT shop in New York and, but they share the same phone number because Google got completely confused and has no idea which one's right. And it's because they both used to be in the same address, but at different time periods. So in, in, da in the data world, we call these things duplicates or even doppelgangers. And if you guys are familiar with a doppelganger, it's, it's like your identical twin, um, but, but slightly different. And that slight difference means a lot when it comes to search. It actually is that thing that makes Google very nervous about saying, here's where Goodfellas is, I'm confident. And remember, if, if they're not confident about where your business is, they'll lower you in search rankings and they'll show people that they're very confident about way before they'd ever recommend you in search results. And that's really the most important thing to sort of remember, which is if Google's not confident, since its whole focus is to answer questions appropriately and with the right content, they're going to move you down. So that's, that's basically how it works. Christian, I hope that you own the URL datatournament.com or at least the Twitter screen name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the March, March Menace brackets is probably the best way to explain it. But, yeah, the data tournament, uh, it's a real thing. It's, it's kind of unfortunate, and, and I, I, I say that honestly. I think it would be really easy if there was one source of truth for all of this, uh, but there, there really isn't. So c correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but people can also go on and add like hours and information to like a Google or Zagat or Yelp page, and that also can confuse the search. Am I am I correct in that? You are, and you know it's interesting because the business owners will do that. But something that uh, uh, you had mentioned earlier, which which is pretty interesting, uh, is that when Google is looking for information or a search engine is looking for information, they check what they've been told. But remember I was talking earlier about the lock and not having a lock. And, and, and really what happens is when you go and submit data to um, any one of these sites and you say, here are my hours of operation. Let's say you did that to each one of them. In the business, we call that submitting data. Because if you look up the definition of the word submit or submission, it literally means to turn over one's will to another, which is kind of sad. But that's really what's happening. You're handing them the data, and you're saying, hey, sort of whatever you want to do with this. We'd like you to use this data, but I submit it to you, and Google doesn't have to use it. Um, that's very different than being in control. What Yex sells is the ability to control the information so that nobody can overwrite it or change it. And that's, that's, a, that's a very different thing. If you look up, again, the definition of submission versus control, that's usually kind of how the whole business or, or our business operates. Um, but for, for when you submit data, also remember that let's say you tell Google or Yelp, here are my hours of operation. In the background, 
to you to them you are just another team in the tournament of data they can't always trust you because let's be fair there's a lot of small business owners out there that are very busy and when a restaurant has the time to update hours it doesn't mean six months from now they had the time to update them again to make them correct so to be fair to the, the, the data websites, they can't trust really anybody unless there's some sort of additional relationship or lock. The other problem is, and uh, you know, again, not to tell the audience how to mess with their competition, but things like Twitter and reviews, you'll see people actually go in and create reviews or submit Twitter posts that say, hey, I loved Goodfellas, too bad it's closed on Saturdays now. now that sounds sort of simple, but if that person really is just a competitor, when you post things like that, they are analyzed and the data is then checked. When it's not checked thoroughly, you will have some sites that will take your hours of operation and close Goodfellas on Saturdays. I know that sounds terrible, but it's real. So it's incredibly easy to mess up other people's data if you have a lot of followers or it's retweeted a lot. And it's, it's very difficult. That misinformation is becoming a bigger competitive threat. I have scenarios where we could tell after checking data at one of my prior companies, we would check data and call the owner over and over and say, this still says you're closed. And the guy's like, I know what you're talking about. We are thriving. We're killing it. And we go and we actually found out it was one of the competitors standing in front of the guy's bar, opening like nine different apps and saying, this place is closed, this place is closed, this place is closed. That type of misinformation is very hard to defend against. And it's one of those things that if every business owner, my goal with this would be, I just want them to know this is possible. How you choose to solve it, you know, we're happy to discuss, but it's very important to know that if you keep seeing data errors, even after working on this, um, it, it might be time to consider that someone is in fact messing with your data. That sounds horrifying so that sounds for a new horrifying. business owner. Yep. So let's say you don't want these malicious attacks to happen on your data. Is it very difficult to get started with Yex? What if your budget's very thin? When is the right time to get started with your product? So it's, it's, it's a good question. I would always say the, the how people utilize our service or really any SMB marketing tool is a completely... Um, sort of personal situation that has to be um, reviewed. So for a lot of businesses that, let's say it's a business that they've never experienced these types of issues, they've never really had a problem, um, maybe they just want to enhance their listing with photos and other things and they want to use Yext for that. That's one use case. Um, others, it's because they went to our site, um, yext.com, uh, there you can run a scan and we'll tell you for free Here's, here's all the errors we found. So we don't, we, we really want you to have the information before um, you even sort of consider whether or not you need to do this. Um, our, our belief that the diagnostic tool um, should show you not only what the issues are, but if you want, there's enough information on the diagnostic tool and it links to every problem we find. You can just use that tool free of charge and, and go try to um, update this data and, and we're happy to do it Mo uh, to provide that. Most people, after they try that for a while, they realize it's actually really hard to clean that data or fix that data, and they end up working with Yext. But to get started with us, uh, generally speaking, it's as simple as running a scan, 
following it through, seeing what the errors are. You can always click through to sort of verify that they are errors. Um, and then to get going, our, most of our clients, when they sign up, if it's like a small business directly, they'll sign up through just a normal online flow. Usually within 48 hours, maybe 72 hours, all of those sites are now completely populated with the right information. Um, it can take a little longer depending on if there's discrepancies that our publisher partners are struggling with, meaning let's say it was you know Ted and Joe's, which is a restaurant uh, in Hoboken a long time ago. I mean, when they split up, they opened another restaurant that was partially named Ted, another restaurant was partially named Joe's. To be fair to the publisher, it was a confusing situation. So sometimes that can take longer. But the Yex team works with the small business owner to demonstrate that they, in fact, are the right restaurant and that that data should be cleansed. Um, but generally speaking, it once it's live, um, you know, again, 48 hours to get all of the things fixed. And and to be fair, most of the sites get fixed within seconds of, of activating the account. Um, once that's done, when you make changes to the data, so let's say you want to close early one day and go catch your kids' lacrosse game, you can make that sort of change. It goes live almost instantly across 90% of the network. So once that lock is in place, it's really easy to make updates and continue to sort of enhance your 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 profile, um, even to things where we have people that they'll they'll put a message up on all of their listings that says. Um, hey, we're having a special today. It's a little slow. Come on in. We'll do a, a free shake with lunch. Um, pretty interesting. So there's many ways to use this, but getting started is the best thing I can say is I would always go and run a scan first. See how you're doing. It, you know, it's potential if if you look pretty good in terms of that data, there's really, you know, maybe pick a few of them and try and update them and see how it goes. But we're we're very confident that there's enough data errors out there that um, there's a good audience that really could use Yext right away. And then there's an audience that they, they, they're doing okay. They, their data looks pretty good. Um, it is a case-by-case -case basis. And so the, the best thing uh, an SMB can do to start is just go ahead and run that diagnostic. Great answer. Let's say you are one of those cases that's not quite ready for Yext yet. What kind of things could a company like that do on its own to improve their location data? That's a great question. The first thing is you definitely want to do Google My Business. Um, Google My Business is, um, let's, let's call it sort of the gravitational point by which all of these data elements are measured. So if you can get your Google My Business location data updated, that means you log in, you create your Google account for your business. They're going to um, either call you or ship you a postcard, or they're going to try and do some way to verify you are who you say you are. Again, remember when all this stuff started, there were a lot of people who lived on the second floor above a Starbucks claiming that Starbucks just to mess with them. So there are some steps you've got to go through with Google to claim and make sure that you are who you say you are, and that's a wonderful thing, verification. But after that, um, Google My Business is one area. I'd definitely optimize that as best you can. Um, I would definitely make sure that your website, whatever you put on Google My Business, your phone number and your address, make sure it's also easy on your website. You know, I, I hate to say this, but for all of us that have gone to restaurant websites for the last, you know, geez, 20 years, these are some of the worst websites on the history of the planet. There's not even a phone number, right? They've got a flash menu and it's just, it's a horrible experience. Take the time to do a very simple website. There's a million ways you could accomplish that. Some are free, some are, you know, almost less than free. But if you do it, please make sure your data that you have on Google for your hours and for your phone number are the same on that website. Because when you tell Google where your website is, the first thing Google is going to do is crawl that website, make sure that that data is the same. 
Otherwise, it's going to go, God, I can't even trust this guy with the hours of operation, let alone his website. So do those two things. I think they're very important. And the other that we um, talked about just a little while ago, I'm a huge fan of setting up your Facebook page. And not your personal Facebook page. I'm sure that's quite interesting as well. I mean the business location page. So build a location presence on Facebook for that page. And once again, remember, this is a signal-to-noise problem. The stronger the signal, meaning the more data points that perfectly match name, address, phone, um, hours of operation, website, the more things that exactly are the same, that should be exactly the same across these different points, the more confidence um, these search engines and these directors are going to have that they got the right, they got the real McCoy, they got the right location. That's the thing you're trying to do. And, and again, going back to you know asking 10 friends that lived on the Lower East Side, this isn't an algorithm thing. To be really frank, it's a human thing. It's what we all do or did before there was an internet that we could check we would call a few friends and say, hey, do you live around this? Is that place there? Because I really don't want to get stuck in the Lincoln Tunnel for you know, a, a non-existent slice of za. So in other words, you would suggest they spend as much time setting up their digital presence as they would their menu. <laughs> that's, that's actually a great, great statement. Yes. Um, again, I, not to date myself, but you know, I remember as a kid, we, we'd like get in the car and drive around looking for a business or for a restaurant at night. You know, we'd say, "Hey, you know, let's go try that Chinese food place on the other end of town." We didn't know where it was. We would drive around like that was like the 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 pinnacle of technology. <laughs> and it's really kind of sad, but it actually highlights a really interesting point, which is lots of businesses know how important their signage is, and and meaning their neon sign or their sign in front of their building. And, and I would pose this question to every restaurant owner out there, which is, if your neon sign, let's say you were the Dynasty Buffet, okay, and you walk out to the parking lot after a long night, you're the owner, you've been there, it's 2 in the morning, you're closing up, you're walking out and you look up at the neon sign, and the D and the Y are broken. So now it just says the Nasty Buffet, okay? If you're the business owner, what do you do? Because if you own that place and you're passionate about your business, put the keys back in your pocket, you walk back, you open up, you go in to get some lights, and you go back in and you fix that, right? Same thing if it was a broken spotlight. Now, we all know to do that as business owners. We all know that that offline presence, right, that real-world presence, it's really important to us. It's our trademark. It's what we care about. What's absolutely amazing is nobody looks for that sign until their phone has gotten them right up to the point to look up from the phone that they should be standing in the right place. Those signs are less important today because most people are checking all of these other places for where is the Dynasty Buffet. So how much more important is it in some ways to make sure the digital presence is correct, meaning the digital signage, before you worry about getting on a ladder at 2 in the morning and fixing that D and that Y? Now, I'm not saying don't do both. You should, but it's usually a good way for a lot of restaurateurs and entrepreneurs to understand just how important this is when something like 80% of people are checking online first before they go locally to buy. And we have tons of statistics on our website of how important this stuff is, but I really just think if you were to think through in your own life, even if you own a restaurant and you occasionally go to another restaurant or like if you go to the yogurt shop like me with the kids, that's usually an impetus thing where I'll check my phone to say, where's the nearest yogurt shop? Now, that's a, a very specific use case, but it doesn't really matter if the signage is right 
until I get right in front of it. And that's what digital presence is all about. And that's why it's so critical. Christian, that was some uh, some very, very awesome information. And I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, I'm guessing that there's a lot of restaurant operators out there that, you know, have probably searched for restaurant themselves or, or taken part in this process and had this happen, but isn't something they normally think about because they're worrying about all these other things. And uh, you know, appreciate you coming on the podcast today and bringing that to light and hopefully helping a lot of people. Um, with, with that, and speaking of kids and being a kid, we're going to segue to uh, how we end all of our shows. Uh, we ask everybody the same couple of questions we start that with. What was your favorite burger from childhood? Favorite burger from childhood. So this is this is uh, low budget, but I would have to say it was the snack bar at our local lake in northern New Jersey. And I must have had 7,000 of those over the course of the 10 summers growing up. <laughs> so I definitely would tell you, I don't think it was anywhere near the quality you guys do. <laughs> it definitely wasn't. But uh, if I were to think about the sort of childhood, man, I can remember sitting at the picnic benches near the lake eating millions of those. So that, that would have to be the, the most memorable burger. Does that snack bar still exist? I believe it does. Do you know the name of it or the name of the lake? We could look uh, it up. Uh, it was in uh, Kinalon, New Jersey. So um, I don't. I have no idea what. <laughs> I don't think it's named anything, quite frankly. It's more like a. It's more like a a, a neighborhood grill. Uh, you know, you really can't put a price on nostalgia. Nothing tastes as good as nostalgia feels. You know, that's that that might be true, but at this point, I would much prefer uh, uh, some of the burgers here in Manhattan. <laughs> so, with that, why don't you tell us what's your favorite burger now? Um, so, uh, there is a great burger at the old homestead. Um, there's also a great burger in Hoboken at the Hudson Tavern. Uh, and I'm trying to think, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of O'Neill's pub in Hoboken, but I'd actually say O'Neill's is probably my favorite burger. I have, uh, I recently located to an area very near you and I've recently eaten at O'Neill's for the first time. Oh, excellent. Well, I hope you tried the burger. I, I love that burger. That's actually why I went there, and it was good. Actually, the wings were very good as well. So, <laughs> That's a great neighborhood pub right on, the, right on, the, uh, right on Church Square Park. Just a, 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 a totally selfless plug. I just think it's a great classic place to visit in Hoboken. I have a friend who is a new new parent, and he told me, uh, there's a, for the listeners, that it's right next to a park where a lot of children play, and he said that that... Uh, O'Neill's has saved his Sunday afternoons after many a park day. <laughs> that's that's so funny because some of our our best uh, afternoons uh, are literally us with a bunch of friends taking over that patio overlooking the park where all the kids can play and we can all sit, watch a little football, and have a few burgers. Awesome, Christian. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? Hmm. Fundamentally, if you are in the food marketing business, the single most important thing you can do is be found. When it comes to how people find you, there's some basic things to look at and basic things to focus on. But if you can do the simple blocking and tackling, it will handle the vast majority of the issues you'll face running, running a restaurant. So please try to focus on making sure this core basic stuff is done. So your name, your address, phone, it's very important. Um, 
and I think that literally will give you some of the biggest boost you've seen. So that's where I would start first. Thanks so much, Christian. And before we go, why don't you let everybody know where they can find out more about you and more about Yext? Certainly, certainly. So um, uh, if you visit yext.com, it's Y-E-X-T.com. Um, as I said, right on that homepage there, you can run a dia diagnostic scan of your business. That's where you just type in your business name and your business phone number, and that's the best place to start. Because quite frankly, you know, everyone can talk about a lot of things in terms of digital, digital marketing, marketing practices. Um, it's all a little bit academic, uh, but when you look at the actual data that we find on your behalf, it should at least point you in the right direction. Um, so that's the best path, and um, certainly I'm listed there for running the partnership program, but I really think for your, your sole proprietors and, and your, your small businesses out there, that's the best first step. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's fun speaking with you and um, love being able to speak directly to important verticals that this is a real, real issue for them. So very much appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.